Hey guys, Josh here. Thanks for joining us for the special parenting series. We're talking about parenting in every stage of life from the book of Proverbs. And we hope today that'll be an encouragement to you no matter where you are in your spiritual or parenting journey. Don't forget to fill out that connection card online at branchlife.church and stay to the end for a special uh, message. We hope that you enjoyed today's study from the book of Proverbs. Yertle the Turtle. On the faraway island of Salamasand, Yertle the turtle was king of the pond. The turtles had everything turtles might need, and they were all happy, quite happy indeed. They were, until Yertle, the king of them all, decided the kingdom he ruled was too small. If I could sit high, how much greater I'd be. What a king! I'd be ruler of all that I see. So Yertle the turtle king lifted his hand, and Yertle the Turtle King gave a command. He made each turtle stand on another one's back, and he piled them all up in a nine-turtle stack. All mine, Yertle cried. Oh, the things I now rule. I'm the king of a cow. I'm the king of a mule. I'm Yertle the Turtle. Oh, marvelous me, for I am the ruler of all that I see. And all through the morning, he sat up there high, until long about noon, then he heard a faint sigh. What's that? snapped the king. And he looked down the stack, and he saw at the bottom a turtle named Mac. Just a part of his throne, and this plain little turtle looked up and he said, Beg your pardon, King Yertle. I have pains in my back and my shoulders and knees. How long must we stand here, your majesty, please? Silence, the king of the turtles barked back. I'm king, and you're only a turtle named Mac. But while he was shouting, he saw with surprise that the moon of the evening was starting to rise. What's that? snorted Yertle. Say, what is that thing that dares to be higher than Yertle the king? I shall not allow it. I'll go higher still. I'll build my throne higher. I can and I will. I'll call some more turtles. I'll stack them to heaven. I need about 5,607. But as Yertle the Turtle King lifted his hand and started to order and give the command, that plain little turtle below in the stack, that plain little turtle whose name was just Mac, decided he'd taken enough, and he had. And that plain little lad got a bit mad. And that plain little Mac to the plain little thing, he burped. And his burp shook the throne of the king. For Yertle, the king of all Salamasand, fell off his high throne and fell plunk in the pond. And today the great Yertle, that marvelous he, is king of the mud. That is all he can see. And the turtles, of course, all the turtles are free, as turtles and maybe all creatures should be. Well, good morning. Welcome to our Parenting Through Proverbs series. Again, special thanks to Dr. Seuss as we're going from Solomon to Seuss learning how we can be better parents together. Yertle was a new Seuss character for me. It's not one that I was familiar with, but man, he's special, huh? Now, I don't know if you can uh, guess, but I've, I've again inter-channeled inter the best Seuss that I can to kind of take the message of today that we get from Yertle, from Solomon, to help us as parents 
particularly if we are parenting or grandparenting kids that are ages one through five. So today, that's our focus. We're thinking about these beautiful, newborn, adorable babies, the terrible twos, the tornadic threes, the fantastic fours, right? All the way up through five, the toddler years, and these are the years where parents never sleep. Amen? So, like, I, we had kids, two kids, Delaney and Will, and Delaney and Will are four years apart, which means just when we were starting to get sleep with Delaney, we brought in another one who took our sleep away. So there's about eight years of my life that are a little bit foggy. I don't recognize exactly everything that happened in those moments, but somehow, somehow we were able to survive. These years are called in our structure the discipline years. These are the years, as we talked about last week, where I'm going to do it and you're going to watch. Why? Because they're just babies. They don't know. And so as parents, it's our job to discipline them. And this is going to become our topic of this morning. And here's, here's why uh, this, we call these the discipline years. If you have your Bibles and you want to underline this verse, you can find in Proverbs chapter 16, and we're going to bounce around Proverbs a little bit today. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before the fall. Here's the, what we can learn from Yertle the turtle, no matter your size, extra tall or just small, there's always a yertle inside of us all. They start out so cute, right, these babies? I mean, adorable, amazing. And all of a sudden, I affectionate, my affection and my love for this beautiful little baby is overflowing. And immediately, immediately, within the first several minutes, what does the baby do? He starts yelling at you. Yeah, start screaming, right? I need help. I need attention. I need food. I need change. I need sleep. I need held. I need burped. And they start right off the bat demanding things. It doesn't get much better as they get older, right? When they start to learn words, guess what their favorite words are? Mine, right? Mine. I think like uh, Simba. And, and Mufasa, they go to the top of the mountain, right? And Mufasa says in his Mufasa voice, all that the sun touches is my kingdom. And you know exactly what Simba was thinking right there next to his dad on the rock. Mine! Like it's all mine! I own this! And every kid that has a toy that says mine or more, right? They learn more really quickly, whether they say it or it's sign language. We all know how that goes, right? More, 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 more. And they want more, right? And they want more food. They want more toys. They want more anything. And you take them in, you take a, take a toddler into a restaurant, right? And, and the toddler sees the food that he has. It's the nice, pre, you brought it in. What, you're not going to order anything. You're going to give them food. And, and, they get, and they see your food and mine. And they see the food on the next table, mine. And immediately the toddler believes that they own the restaurant and everyone there at the restaurant is there to please and honor them. And so they're going to be as loud as they want. They're going to run around as much as they want. They're going to throw as much water and juice as they want, right? That's just what they do. Because why? Because no matter how big or how tall, every single one of us has a yurtle inside of us all. We start out with this innate desire to survive and to be the king of me. 
And so how do we then develop a youngster? How do we then develop a child? What does God say? What, what is the wisdom that anyone can, can grasp onto, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, to help us get rid of the yurtle? And why, why do we need to do that? Why do we need to get rid of the yurtle? Well, pride goes before destruction. Last week we said that many parents have fears And one of those fears is that our kids would make poor choices or that they would fall down or they wouldn't somehow survive. And we want to do everything that we can to help them not fall, but to thrive. And in order to thrive, we must do our best to eliminate pride. So in this story, Yertle represents the pride that's implanted in every single one of us. And so here's here's what we focused on last week, and this kind of a focusing thought for our entire entire series, train up a child in the way he should go when he's old, he not flee from it. When we're training up a child, we want to focus more on the person they'll be than the places they'll go. And we want our youngsters, our kids, our young adults, those that we're investing in, those that we're mentoring, we're teaching, we're coaching, we're parenting, we're grandparenting, we're churching, remember it's a church project together. We want to help our kids to become humble, kind, others-focused in their lives. We want them to put other people, we want to be radically generous. That's one of our values of the church. So we want to focus on what they'll be and not so much where they'll go. As a matter of fact, if who they are is right, then where they go, the sky's the limit. So how do we do that? Particularly during... The discipline years, but no matter where you are in your parenting journey, these principles hold. Every child has two basic needs. And here's the two basic needs we're going to talk about today. Need number one, they need diligent discipline. They need diligent discipline, and we're going to unpack that. And when I say the word discipline, all of us get different ideas in our head. We're going to go with discipline as it's described in Scripture by Solomon, the wisest person in the world. And number two, they need unforgettable love. And let's just start talking about unforgettable love. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12 says this. Do not, I don't think that's the right reference, but I could be wrong about it. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. So right off the bat, 23 times Solomon says to his son some instructions in Proverbs. This is one of them. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. We're going to get there. Don't be weary of reproofs. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father in whom the son he delights. It is absolutely important that we love and delight in our children. As a matter of fact, every child needs to know in a way that they will never forget that they are loved. They have to know that their dad loves them. They have to know that their mom loves them. They have to know that grandma and grandpa love them, that Pastor Josh loves them, that teacher loves them, that coach loves them, that aunt and uncle loves them. They have to know that. That is a a, a, a need that is required, and sometimes we think, oh, I don't want to feed the yurtle, I don't want to give them a big head, I don't want them to think that the universe revolves around them, and so sometimes we're going to pull back and kind of shield our undying affection so we don't allow them to get a big head. Don't, don't do that. 
pour out your love unconditionally and illogically and continuously on your kids. So what, what I want to ask you to do as we're thinking about this love thing, right? And it comes easy, especially at the beginning. You, you, you're a, holding them in the hospital and you're like, this is amazing. In our case, we've been praying for seven years for a baby, right? And so I was praying for seven years for a baby. We didn't know if we would ever have kids of our own. All of a sudden, we're, Jenny, God answers the prayer. Jenny's able to get pregnant. We have baby Delaney. I'm holding a tiny, 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 under five pound baby in the hospital. And I thought my heart was going to explode right? Like, I love this baby. And all she's doing is yelling at me. And I love her. And I'm, I'm going to do anything for her. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill people if they hurt her, right? Like, all of a sudden, it's just, this, something's happening inside. And this is this love that, that is, is it's irreplaceable, and it's unexplainable. And I'm, I'm holding on, I'm holding on that love. And, but, but then, fast forward to like four months later, and we've slept two hours at a time for four months, and you're like, I don't, I don't know if I can take it anymore. I'm, I'm ready to like give her away, right? Like, like just maybe just for a little bit. Like, I just, I know we really wanted her, but, uh, you know. But no, no, you, you still have that, you have that love. And that, that, that's something that's just irreplaceable. Now, now you got to demonstrate that love. And so if, if you've ever been a parent, and we get this question some, maybe you've gotten it, how would you answer the question if someone is going to be a first-time parent, they come up to you and they say, all right, give me some advice. Give me some advice. How, how can I, what can I do? Here's what I heard one, one dad say. He said, he said to his friend, he said, I, I need you to learn how to braid hair. He's like, what? Trust me, learn how to braid hair. Because this father, whose daughter was grown, had learned how to braid hair, and what he did every day was spend that five to ten minutes with his daughter. The braiding of the hair was an excuse to be together so they could talk and enjoy time and enjoy the same space. And he said, I will braid her hair as long as she lets me because it gives me time. And you know what that daughter talks about? You know what my dad did all growing up? He was the one who braided my hair. We, he, he got really good at it over time, right? And he, and he cared for me and he nurtured me. And in my case, I would say buy a rocking chair. Buy a rocking chair. So Delaney was small. She slept two hours at a time. So the best that we could do as mom and dad is we would, we would kind of take turns and take shifts. And so the, the first shift was me taking care of the baby for the first part of the night, I'm kind of a night owl, so that Jenny could get a head start on her sleep, and then she would take over, you know, after midnight or, or something like that, and she would do, like, the second shift, and we had about six shifts, so it's, it's how we did it. So, so I end up getting the baby, and I, I remember, again, glass, football, how, what, how do we do this, and, and I, I, first time I held her, she didn't control her head yet, and she just flumped and, like, headbutted my shoulder. I'm like, I killed the baby! Like, oh, no! I can't believe I, I felt, I mean, crying. I'm like, I, I think I gave her a concussion. Can babies have concussions, right? And, and so we're, I'm, we're, she was fine, and we're, we're holding the baby, and, and so it became my job every night to rock the baby to sleep during the first shift, and so we got a rocking chair. Well, as the shifts extended and as time went on and for several years, that was just my time. That was my time with my baby. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold her. I'm going to get to be with her. And we're going to go whether she smells or she burps or she sleeps or she yells. That's me and her. 
and, and I get to spend that time. You know, I, I didn't even know how precious that time was for the three or four years that I was able to do that every night that I was home. I don't, and, until it was gone. And at some point, I don't know when, she didn't need me to rock her to sleep anymore. She didn't need me to hold her and, and help her stay calm at night. She started doing that on her own. But for me, that was one unforgettable way. I'll never, and I'm going to let, never let her forget it. I held you for years. Yeah, I tell her all the time. And every time I see a rocking chair, I'm like, Lainey, we sat in a rocking chair every night. She's like, I know. And I'm like, if you ever want me to rock you to sleep, I'm here. She's like, stop it. I don't want you to do that anymore. But for you, what are the unforgettable ways that you uniquely demonstrate love to your child? And I'm going to tell you right now, every child is going to be different. Every child is going to receive love in their own way. Some of them aren't going to have long hair. Some of them are going to love to play catch in the backyard. Some of them are going to love to be rocked to sleep. Some of them are going to love to sit down and eat popcorn and watch a movie together. Some of them are going to want to, you're going to want to do projects with. Some of them you're going to need to just show up at their events, right? But what are the unforgettable ways that you can demonstrate uniquely love to your child so that they will never forget it? And that's our parenting principle. Because, and here's the principle, you'll never regret demonstrating in love your ways will never forget. You'll never regret demonstrating in love your ways will never forget. This week, as I was thinking about this principle, I saw a video. And in the video, a four-year-old was battling cancer. Little, little guy, kind of round, you know, just kind of waddling through life. And, and he was going to have his last chemo treatment. And it was the kind of chemo treatment that he would have to take at home. But he doesn't like taking the chemo because it makes him sick. And so he had learned over the course of his chemo treatments that taking the medicine meant bad things. And so what happened is the dad decided at some point in the journey that we're going to make the chemo medicine moment the best moment of his life. So every time it came up for him to have a chemo treatment, including this very last chemo treatment, they would get the whole entire family together. They'd decorate the house like they were on a football field. They would get, the sisters would have cheerleading pom-poms out, and they would have the, the tubes that were, you know, making the noise, and they'd have the air horns and the air blowers, and they created this huge banner for their son, and, and it had his name on it, and it had their family name on it, like Team Park, right? We're here for the game, and two of the family members, the brothers, would hold the, the big thing, and he would stand in the dining room, and the thing would be through the door to the living room, and dad would be in the living room, and he got on the microphone, and now presenting my son! the best son in the world. He's coming today to take his final chemo treatment. And everyone would just cry. And here he is. And he burst through the paper and tore it up. And everyone starts cheering. He ran over that chemo treatment. Dad handed him his treatment. He grabbed it. He put it in his mouth, took it, and he threw it on the ground and did a touchdown dance. Recorded it all on video. Do you think any of those kids, especially that one, are ever going to forget his last chemo treatment? And what his dad did for him to make it unforgettable. The love that he showed. My mom is down in South America right now. And my mom, I'm not allowed to say this very often, is, is in her 80s. She's down in South America, and down in South America is my twin brother with his four kids. He's got a baby, and he's got all the way up to a fourth grader. 
And, and they don't get to see Nana very much, so she's down there, and she is on a mission, right, to be the favorite grandmother ever, and she wants to be remembered as the grandmother who loves her grandkids. So she sent us a video, and she has the, four, the three older grandkids. They're all sitting on the ground across from each other with their legs spread out, and they're passing soccer balls around, right? And they're throwing them at each other's legs. And these girls down, the little grand girls, they're cackling away. And I'm like, Mom, you're 80 years old. You're sitting out in the middle of the field in some sunshine somewhere in the blistering heat of the day in South America throwing balls at your grandchildren, right? What are you doing? She's trying to demonstrate unforgettable love. Because those kids will never forget the time that their grandmother came down from the States just to sit with them in the middle of a field on a hot day and play a game with them they never played before. That's a way to demonstrate unforgettable love. Now, here's, here's the thing. If you don't demonstrate, like, I'm going to make them meals, I'm going to have them a bed to sleep, we're going to drive them from place to place, I'm going to keep them safe, that's great, that's normal, that's just going to go with all the white noise. You've got to go all out to demonstrate unforgettable love. And do unique things. Date your kids. Have those special moments. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be a lot of time. It doesn't have to be a big production. But it can be any of those things. And do the things that they'll never forget. Why? Because they'll be able to say to their dying day, my mom loved me. And here's what I remember. My dad loved, my aunt, my teacher loved me because they demonstrated it. Now, here at Branch Life, we believe that every toddler needs to know three foundational truths. We encourage parents to teach these truths to their kids, and we, we come together and we teach these truths about who God is and why we are loved. And the first truth is, is simply this, God made me. So if you have your Bibles, Job chapter 33 God made me. The, one of the reasons that, that we love our kids is because they're our kids, right? They're, they're uniquely ours, and they, they've either come from us or we've adopted them into our family, and God made us, God designed us, God built us uh, as his family. We were made by God, and however you believe God did that, whether he did that in literally a moment during the six days of creation or he did it over an extended period of time, you can't help but see that God had to be involved in our design, that, that his fingerprints are all over us, that we are made in the image of God. In Job chapter 33, in verse 4, it says this, and the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. In the first five years of parenting, you are just allowing your kids to continue to breathe. You do it and I watch, right? And you're allowing them to, to live out the life that they were given because they're a part of your family because they come from you, but also because they are given to us by God. And when you think about this truth, yes, some of us are parents, but all of us are children of God. All of us come from God, and God has demonstrated his love for us. Truth number two, God has demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, screaming at him all the time, give me this, I want this, what are you doing, when are we going to get there? God demonstrated his love for us that even though, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish. What's that unforgettable demonstration of love? God gave us his son. It's so spectacular, we celebrate two holidays over it. Christmas, when the sun came, and Easter, when the sun rose again from the dead. God loves you. God loves you desperately, and he never wants you to forget it. So much so that he gave you his son, that Jesus came and he died in your place. Greater love is no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus demonstrated his love for us by dying on the cross for you and I. And the third truth is that that Jesus who died for us wants to be our forever friend. Jesus wants to have a relationship, a friendship with you. He wants to be your best friend. He wants to be your forever friend. He wants to wear the other side of that broken heart necklace that says friends together. That's what God wants. He made you. He loves you. And through Jesus, he wants a relationship with you. And so we, as a, as a team here at Branch, we're always encouraging these truths in the lives of our kids, in the Bible stories, in the way that we demonstrate love, in the way that we inform parents. And, and I've seen over the course of the last few years, our kids' workers here at Branch Life Church do some amazing things. And for you parents, you, you've experienced this. And here's one of the unique difficulties that is a reality right now as a result of the pandemic, particularly with one through five-year-olds. If your child is six years old, the last three years, they've been told, don't even breathe near people because you might die. And wash your hands because there's evil monsters in your hands that you can't see, right? And, and if, you, if you do something wrong, if you, if you breathe in the wrong place, if you go in the wrong, if you're with too many people, then all of a sudden you could get sick and you could die. Or mommy could sick and mommy could die. Or daddy could get sick and daddy could die. So we're, we're all, we're all going to die. And, and I, I understand why they got there and why we, but to a child, that's what they heard. And so it's no wonder that if for the last three years of a six-year-old's life that they've been told that there's this real and imminent danger of dying, that that's had some effect on them. What if your child is four years old? They'd never remember anything else but pandemic precautions, right? And now parents, same thing. You've been told over the last three years, you've got to protect your kids from this evil thing that's out in this world that could rob them from you. And, and again, that's the reality of the situation we're in. But what does that result in? Well, that has resulted in parents and kids who are terrified, who are anxious, and who don't want to be apart from each other. So now fast forward, and you're sick of being together, right? And you're like, I can't homeschool one more day. I can't do online school again. If I try that one more time, I'm going to throw somebody somewhere, and it's not going to be good, right? And, and now I've got to get them to go back onto the bus and get them to go back into school or get them to go into their classroom. But that's the last thing they want to do. Because they've been told how scary that is, right? And for these little kids and their little psychologies and their little brains and the little way they're thinking, it, it's just the reality where we are. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying it's the reality of where we are. And so you guys come and you're finally like, we made it to church. Ah, 
This is amazing. Okay, I'm so glad we're here. I'm going to get five minutes. We're going to worship God. I'm going to sit with my husband. We're going to open the Bible. I'm going to sing a little bit. And all I need you to do is just go in this little room over here, right? And just, just do that. And the kids are like, no! And we've had branch workers that have been amazing at doing that. At loving on those kids so they want to come into an environment so they can, that they could have their, their, their fears. And sometimes it's not going to happen the first Sunday. I, we get it. It might happen the next one. And that's okay. And that's what I love about our branch workers is they've been working hard to assist all of us to figure out how to get through this reality and how to help train our kids up in the way they should go. And in the meantime, they're enforcing these three rules. God made you. God loves you. And Jesus wants to be your forever friend. And so do I. Right? I, I love you. And I, I want you to be friends with Jesus. And so I just, I love our branch workers. I love those that have gone through the extra precautions over the last three years, those that have built our building. Our nursery's exploding, yet our workers are amazing at that kind of stuff. Can we just say thank you to our branch workers and our kids' leaders? They do a great job. Yeah. Keep up the good work. If you want to join the team, see one of the Alex's. They'll put you to work any, any week. Help us love on kids. Help us love on kids. It's a great way to minister. The second thing every child needs is, and this is a balance, this is the other side of the coin, is they need diligent discipline. They need diligent discipline. In Proverbs 3.11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, right? So I, I want discipline in my life because even though the Bible says discipline is hard at the time, it's painful, nobody wants to go through it, it will result in something good. We're not supposed to despise discipline. We're not supposed to hate discipline. We're not supposed to fight against discipline. This is not something that's bad. Discipline is something that's good. Yet, for so many of us, when we talk about what discipline is, we might have in our minds an incorrect demonstration of discipline. But discipline done God's way is actually an amazing part of raising children. And that's why the discipline years are good years. You have to stop your kids from walking too close to the edge of the, edge of the cliff. That has to happen. Why? Because they don't know if they get too close to the edge, they're going to lose their footing, they're going to fall, and then they're going to die. And so you've got to train your child not to go to the edge of the cliff. You've got to correct the behavior that even starts them going towards the edge of the cliff. You've got to tell them how to be prepared when they get a little bit too close to the edge of the cliff. And to do that, that involves discipline. So many of us think discipline is just causing someone pain for the sake of pain. No, no, no. Discipline is a process of corrective behavior. And so I'm going to correct a behavior that's leading to something wrong. And discipline has to get your attention. It has to be direct. It has to be clear. We're going to talk about all that in a second. But it just causes a change of behavior. So if a child is walking towards a cliff, they get disciplined in some way, spoken to, corrected, screen time taken away, whatever it might be, so that they don't walk towards the cliff anymore. So discipline is good. Discipline is right. Discipline is godly. Here's a couple more Proverbs about discipline, 13, 24, and 22, 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Everyone has a yurtle, right? How do we get the yurtle out? We use discipline. We use discipline. We use corrective action to, to cause 
behavioral change. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Whoever spares discipline hates his son. But he who loves him is, is diligent to discipline him. If I love my child, I will find a way to be diligent with godly discipline. So how do we do that? How do we do it? Well, the truth to live by is this. The purpose of discipline is transformation, not punishment. The purpose of discipline is transformation, not punishment. Now, I I don't know if you've ever thought about the difference between punishment and discipline, but they are different. And sometimes in your authoritative role, yes, it is your God-given responsibility to give punishment. There are judges who sit on a judge's bench who judge people they have never met, they don't care for in any way, shape, or form, and they sentence them to prison. That is punishment. But here's, here's the difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment is focusing on past behavior, right? It's looking backwards, and it's causing, it's causing that person to regret or pay for the, the, the mistake or the harm that they've caused. Discipline, on the other hand, looks forward. Discipline cares about the heart of the person that's involved and needs to be corrected, and discipline sets to set up that person for successful future behavior. Punishment is correcting past bad behavior. Discipline is setting up someone for future good behavior. Let me just talk about Fortnite for a second. Fortnite is the most popular video game of all time. And if you have a child that's video game age, they play Fortnite. Maybe I'm dating myself. Maybe they play Roadblocks. Maybe they made Minecraft. Maybe they play Clash of Clans or Candy Crush. Or maybe I'm now talking to parents. I don't know. (laughs) So my son's getting to the age where he wants to play Fortnite, and he can turn on the game, and he can log in, and he can start playing. And if you let him, he will play that for eight hours a day at a time in a row, right? And he'll never stop, and he won't eat, and he won't drink, and he won't exercise, and he won't do homework, and he just, he, just want to play, he just wants to play his game. And so we set up some parameters, right, and we say to, we say to him, we're going to give you some boundaries, talk more about this next week, and it's, it's, your, it's my job to use corrective behavior so that you play the appropriate amount of time. So if you're going to play for a half hour, but you're still playing for 45 minutes, now I'm going to correct your behavior so that the next time you play, you'll keep it to a half hour, Right? I'm not just, you went 45 minutes, Xbox, gone, rah, We're going to have a conversation. I'm going to discipline you, but I'm not just going to punish you. I'm going to say, listen, that was wrong. That was bad behavior. This, this is how you're going to be disciplined. You're going to not be able to play for another 24 hours. Now, 24 hours from now, you're going to be able to play again, but you've got to keep it, keep it to a certain amount. And if you don't do it, well, maybe you're not going to be able to play for three days right? And so it's, it's not just punishment, it's discipline that's correcting behavior focusing on the future. When you discipline your kids, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to bring transformation in their lives so that they change their behavior, so that they behave better in the restaurant the next time, so that they eat their food without throwing it the next time, right? And so you're trying to constantly say, how do I di- di- discipline? Here's, here's the truth. Love without discipline is just selfishness. Why? why? Discipline is hard. (laughs) Discipline is work. Discipline takes effort. Nobody likes discipline. The child nor the parent. It's no fun. It causes conflict. And so the selfish thing to do as a parent is just not discipline. 
This is far easier. I'm just going to be hands off. I'm going to let you do your thing. I'm going to, you're going to just, whatever comes, comes. And so I'm going to be hands off. That's just, that's just selfishness. And if you ever heard of codependency, that's where we're starting to live here. And I don't want my kid to get mad at me, and I don't want to ruffle any feathers, and I don't want it to be a, a conflict, and I'm just going to overlook it. What, what, who are you doing that for, yourself or them? And so love without discipline is just selfishness because discipline is good, and it helps them become a better adult and avoid bad behavior. Discipline without love is just punishment. Discipline without love is just punishment. You're not a judge on a bench who is not related to the person who's done the offense. You are the parent. Your, your job is not punishment. Your job is discipline. And so when I bring discipline into this equation, I'm not punishing. I'm correcting. And I'm using the tools that God has given me to help with this corrective behavior. So how do I discipline well? How do I discipline well? Well, there's, there's four keys, and I'm going to give you a bonus one. The parenting principle, key number one is to be clear. Be clear. In other words, your child needs to never be surprised that they're getting disciplined. They should have been warned and warned again and warned again. So that by the time they've made the offense that's going to cause discipline, they absolutely understand what's happening. And if you have not been clear, then wait till next time. Be clear now. And wait till next time before you start instituting discipline. Clarity is key. If you are disciplined, you need to be consistent. And all God's people said, amen. We have a dog that, that we let outside. And no, I'm not comparing your children to the dog, but I am. The dog tells us when it wants to go outside. So it barks. But I don't want to go outside at that time. So I wait. And I want to go out the time that I want to go out. And so my job is to let the dog out on my schedule, not to let the dog out on his schedule. Now we're living on the edge. You all know this, right? So we wait, and then later I take the dog out. But the next day she comes in, she wants to go out, so she barks. And I say, fine, go out. And we come back the next day, and guess what she does? She doesn't wait for my time. She does her time. Why? Because she learned if she barks twice, she's going to get what she wants. She's going to get on her timetable. And all of a sudden, I feel like, is the dog training me or am I training the dog? Like, I'm not sure what's going on here. And the first time you do it your way is just the beginning. You've got to be consistent. And if you're not consistent, the child will learn how long they have to ask and wait to get their way. How loud they have to get to get their way. And they may, it's not this loud, it's not this loud, but at this loud, mommy gives in. And at this time, daddy gives in. I remember I was sitting at a table with good friends of mine. I was just in college, and they had a, they had a one to five-year-old who didn't want to eat her peas. And dad said, you're going to eat your peas, or you're going to sit at the table until it's done. And mom went, oh. And I went, sounds reasonable, right? Just eat your peas. Well, if you've ever had a strong-willed child, you understand the battle you just initiated, right? And dad, in the clear, very clear, here until they're eaten, consistency now means what? He's got to follow through. So guess what has to happen? She has to sit there until she eats her peas. 
And guess where we were four hours later? <laughs> but she would learn on hour four, right? So consistent. And then the next time, and then the next time, and then the next time. Be consistent. Be consistent. Number, number three, and this takes work. This is why it's hard. Number three, be calm. If you're disciplining out of anger, you are in the wrong. And parents, if you discipline out of anger, you need to apologize to your kids every time or any time that happens. If you are upset, if you are emotional as a parent, it is not the time for discipline. Walk away and revisit it when you can be clear, when you can be consistent, and when you can be calm. And the last one is you need to be compassionate. You need to be compassionate. Have compassion for your child, empathize with them, and do the thing that is going to be effective, yet demonstrate love. And let me just give you a bonus tip. Once you've been clear, once you've been consistent, once you've been calm, sometimes you're going to have the opportunity to give grace and mercy. And that's okay. And in that compassion and in those moments, you will see that a little bit of extra grace goes a long way. Be compassionate. Here's a bonus tip. Also, just be careful. Be careful as you go through. And the Bible gives us a couple Proverbs about being careful to discipline. So some personal wisdom that we want to carry with us is, is a question that we ask. What specific changes do you need to make at home in regards to love and discipline? Is there some way that you need to radically demonstrate your love for the, your child in the next seven days? Just go all out and show it to them. It's a way that they'll never forget. And maybe there's something you need to do, a conversation you need to have, a, a system you need to put in place, some clarity that you need to provide with this is the way it's going to be and this is what's going to happen if it doesn't go that way. Hey, we're going we're gonna to go through these steps when it comes to discipline. And, and then how does this change the way you think about God's love towards you? If, if every child's basic need is unforgettable love and diligent discipline, then guess what our basic needs are as children of the king? We all have pride, and God gives us unforgettable love and diligent discipline in our lives. It is truth. It is how it works, and God loves us, and yes, God also corrects us. So the parenting principle or the personal principle for today, from the face of a parent, a child begins to learn if they are a delight or if they're a disappointment. I don't know if you're familiar with the science behind this conversation, but really, in the discipline years in particular, when you come up to a baby, when you come up to a toddler and you smile, guess what they do? They smile. And there's, there's something that's happening in that moment, and there's a, there's a scientific name for it I can't even pronounce, right, that, that happens, that takes place, that in your ability to allow your face to shine in the presence of this other child, that it's going to cause them to have joy. It's going to cause them to be at peace. It's going to cause them to be calm. And if, if you're driving a car and it gets scary and you, your mom turns around and she smiles at you, all of a sudden you're a little bit calmer. You're walking into a crowd with your kids and they're starting to get nervous because there's a lot of people, but dad looks down and goes, it's okay. All of a sudden that face shining on you causes you to, to have some peace. It causes you to have some confidence in those moments. Those face-to-face -face interactions provide power. As a matter of fact, when a child gets to four years old, if they have not had an adult or a loved parent that's been pouring into them through face-to-face -face interactions with joy, they lose chemically the ability to kind of demonstrate some of that joy. And, and parent children learn from the faces of their parents, whether that they're a delight, I love you, or whether they're a disappointment. Last night, I heard a father yell at his child, and he used 
all kinds of names in the book. You know what she did wrong? She came into the room too loud. And get, get the F out of here. And you know, yeah, I gotta tell you one more time. And I can't believe. And the look on her face mirrored the look on his face. And what does she think in the moment? Dad loves me. Dad wants to spend time to me. Dad cares about me. Or I'm a disappointment. If you come up to a child and you come up to them with an angry face, or you come, and I don't recommend you do this, and a mad face, and you come out like this, you know what that child's going to do? That child's going to cry. It's going to get scared. It's going to be frustrated. Our heavenly father, our, uh, our personal principle for today, your life is a reflection of how you believe God's face looks at you. Do you think that when God looks at you, he's looking at you angry and he wants to judge you? Or is God looking at you with a face that delights in you? Remember our basic principles. God made you. God loves you. And Jesus wants to be your forever friend. Don't ever forget, parents, that you are unforgettably loved, even when you're being disciplined. Don't forget that God wants what's best for you, and he cares about you, and he loves you, and that's what he wants us to demonstrate to our children. Numbers chapter 6, verse says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Let's just reflect on that a little bit. The face of the Lord upon us. Let's sing that to each other.
Hey guys, we hope that there's been something that encouraged you today, no matter where you are in your parenting process and during your spiritual journey. I want you to know that we are praying specifically for you. We care about you and we love you. And I'm glad that you've been a part of this conversation. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to fill out that connection card online. We'll be able to pray for you more specifically. If there's anything that we can do for you, that connection card is where to start. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.